You can get your Bibles out, open to Hosea chapter 7. You'll find that on page 1043 in your pew Bible there in front of you. Hosea, the largest of the minor prophets, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. So if you get to Joel or Amos, you went too far. This little-known book, and what a blessing uh, Hosea's prophecy can be to our lives. But in the midst of the blessing, we got to get through the shocking, right? Because Hosea comes to us in a, in a shocking fashion. God is, as we talked about last week, uh, God wants to get our attention, and He wants us to, He wants to know that we've heard Him, that we've listened, and And evidence of hearing or listening is whether or not there's change according to that which we've heard. And so God God gives us a story of really this amazing and unbelievable God who's chosen to love unlovable people. And what makes it so amazing is that no matter how unlovable the people become, when when you read this, it's just astonishing, God still pursues, which is a remarkable thing. Even Even when His people don't want Him, don't want anything to do with Him, His love doesn't fade. This really is the ultimate beauty and the beast story, isn't it? And when you think about this idea that God is going to introduce us to this story by giving us a real-life illustration, that he calls his prophet, his faithful man, Hosea, who who has just had impeccable character. As you open the book of Hosea and begin to read, Hosea does everything God asks him to do, and everything God asks him to do is extraordinarily difficult and uncomfortable, and yet he immediately just responds with obedience. And so this prophet Hosea, God calls him to marry a prostitute named Gomer and to start a family. And he tells him up front, she's a prostitute, and it's going to be terrible, and she's going to wound you and hurt you, but you're going to do this. And this is going to be an illustration that I'm going to use for my people. And so as we begin to unfold the story, we find Hosea, this good, faithful husband who provides for all of Gomer's needs and loves her. But Gomer just continues her adulterous ways. She doesn't respond to the love of Hosea. So much so that a couple weeks ago we we ended up in this moment where Hosea was literally buying back Gomer at auction. Her lifestyle had had gotten her in so much trouble that she was being sold as a slave or trafficked. It was absolutely a shocking example. But Gomer just continues her adulterous ways. She doesn't change. And last week we, we entered into the counseling room where it's almost like the, this, this seemingly broken beyond repair marriage comes in for counseling and God begins to 
speak from his heart and reveal the, all the ways that he has been made to feel by all of the things that his adulterous people have been doing. And this is what I want you to understand. That you, you have to be careful not to see this whole story through human eyes. God's giving us a human picture to understand the gravity and the weight of the problem, but it's not a perfect picture. And here's what I mean. Because in a human sense, we, we see this God who continues to pursue a wayward bride. And it can look like what we're seeing is the weakness of God. Like it could seem, to, if you're not careful, it could seem that what we're seeing is a God who's weak, that he's, he's, he's unsure of himself. He's got some esteem issues. He, he's trying to validate himself some way. Like why, why would he keep doing this? Why wouldn't he just say, enough already, I'm done with you, I'm I'm not going to keep humiliating myself and chasing after you. But you see, that would be to humanize God. What you have to understand is God is not like me and you. And what it is showing us is the extraordinary, perfect strength of God. That God is so secure in and of himself that he's able to pursue us regardless of our waywardness. And here's what that tells you. See, God's not seeking to find his happiness in us. God's happy in in and of himself. And he's so secure and confident in who he is that he can pursue us without damage, if you will, to himself. You see, he he loves us, and he he does feel, as we've seen, he feels the hurt and the pain by the things that, we do because we're Gomer. He feels that and it, it, it hurts, but it doesn't rattle who he is. It doesn't impact his character and his nature and his security and his authority. So be sure that you don't mistake that and, and confuse those things together. The big takeaway from last week is how God's people have not taken time to really know Him. That they know about Him, but they haven't taken time to really listen to what He says, to, to hear His heart. And so they do things. So, so many human relationships, so, so many of you can relate to this in, in some way. Maybe it's your present situation or a past situation. Maybe it was a situation you grew up in where there were, there were people in the relationship. But not everyone was in. You know, you can, you can be married but be checked out. You can be a parent but be distant and distracted. And so 
As God showed us in chapter 5 and chapter 6, we, we could see God's people were they're aware of God. They're going through the motions. You know, they, they bring flowers home on Valentine's Day. But they just swung by the drugstore on the way home and picked them up because it was Valentine's Day because somebody at the office reminded them. And it wasn't because their heart was captivated by the one that they love. Mm-mm. See, we, we know that so oftentimes we're Gomer. We're, we're the unfaithful wife in the story. That's who we are. And so oftentimes what we do is the same thing the checked out person in the relationship does. Just We want cheap grace. We want credit for just being there. That's what we want. We, we just want... We want, we want Jesus, but we want to keep our idols too. See, we want Jesus, but we want to. But you know, we we know our heart is for our occupation, or our heart is for our our activities, or pleasures, or family, or money, or whatever. It's not that we don't want Jesus. We're just not willing to give everything else up for him. See, and, and it cost Jesus everything to redeem us. And the cost for us for redemption is just us. But it is us. If there's no us, there's no redemption. Like, you can't just come. You know, uh, God's love, it's, it must be reciprocated, right? It's there, but it's got to be received. It's got to be reciprocated. I mean, you can't, you can't just keep going the way you are. And, and when you read these chapters, it sounds like God's in a bad mood. It sounds like he's really grumpy or mean. And, and there's all these things that God doesn't like. And God's mad about this, and he's mad about this, and he's mad about this. And again, you've got to be careful in how you understand what's happening. is Because you can, you, can, you can humanize God into some idea of, of, of some relationship or circumstance you've experienced. And it can seem like God's just upset and, or maybe that God just wants obedience for the sake of obedience. Like, see, some of you grew up in a family where you had an authority figure over you who, who demanded your obedience just for the sake of obedience. Listen, you knew, you obeyed out of fear and compulsion. You had no respect for that authority. That is not at all what God's interested in. He's not interested in just blind obedience. He's not a God who who shows up with uh, a list of rules because he wants to see if, uh, you know, we can keep them. No. And so we, we said this, and it needs to be repeated. God hates sin because it robs people of himself. That's why he hates sin. 
He doesn't, it, God doesn't just say, oh, these things are wrong and these things are right. That's just the way it is because I say so. No. All of the things that God says are, are sinful are things that wound what he loves and what rob what, who he loves of himself. That's the reason they're sinful. It's not just some arbitrary thing. You know, God didn't just go, oh, you know, good, bad, bad, good, good, bad, pick, you know, pick and choose. No. There's a, there's a reason behind the things that he does. And so if you look back in 6, we're going to focus on 7, but let's just go to the beginning of 6 and remember where we left off. So at the end there, 6 verse 1 is this call to repentance. Come and let us return to the Lord after all these sinful behaviors and activities. For he has torn, but he will heal us. And he has stricken, but he will bind us. And after two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will rise up that we may live in his sight. And so this call to, to not to feel remorse, but to repent. And those two things are very different. And then in verse 3, let us know. See what? Let us pursue the, the knowledge, the personal knowledge of God. Not just things about him, but, but listen to him. Get to know him. Let us pursue getting to know the Lord. His goings forth is established as the morning. And he will come to us like the rain. Do you see what God's saying? You need, if you take time to know me, you'll realize how faithful I am and how much you can count on me. And that I'm like, I'm like the, the sun coming up. I'm like, I'm like the, the rain coming down when it needs to. Yes, that's what I am. You don't have to go to bed at night wondering if morning's going to come. You don't have to go to bed at night wondering if I'm on the throne, if I'm available, if I'm paying attention. You can count on me. So that's what God wants us to know about him. Verses, look at verse 4. Verses, look at the opposite. But then he says, O Ephraim, that's Israel, the northern kingdom, what shall I do with you? Or Judah, the southern kingdom, what shall I do with you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud. And like the early dew, it goes away. He says, you can count on me like the morning but you, on the other hand, your faithfulness, it dissolves like a morning mist. Like it looks like it's there for a minute, and then the sun comes up, and ten minutes later, it's gone. And let's just get something straight. If you think the reason that you have a relationship with God is because you have been holding on to Him, you could not be more wrong. It is not because you've held on to him. The only reason any of us have a relationship with God is because he is the one who refuses to let go of us. And it's a reminder to us that our, our salvation is not a tribute to our faithfulness, but to his faithfulness. He is a faithful God. And so that's what sort of sets the stage to lead into chapter 7. And as we move into chapter 7, here's what we need to understand. Sin breaks everything it touches. Every single thing it touches, it breaks. Now this may sound 
Simple. I mean, everybody knows this. Do we? I don't think we do. It's a, this is a good thing to nod your head at and know, but it's another thing to deeply understand and know. See, whatever sin touches, whenever it touches something, that thing becomes less of what it was meant to be. It becomes less of what it was intended to be. It becomes marred. It becomes tainted. So look at chapter 7, verse 1. When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim, or Israel, was uncovered. Well, and the wickedness of Samaria, for they have committed fraud. A thief comes in, a band of robbers takes spoil outside. They do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own deeds have surrounded them. They are before my face. They make a king glad with their wickedness and princes with their lies. Verse 4, they're all adulterers. Like an oven heated by a baker, it ceases stirring the fire after kneading the dough until it is leavened. In the day of our king, princes have made him sick. Inflamed with wine, he stretches out his hand with scoffers. They prepare their heart like an oven while they lie in wait. Their baker sleeps all night. In the morning, it burns like a flaming fire. They are all hot like an oven. And have devoured their judges. And their kings have fallen. None among them calls on me. And here's what God wants us to see. He wants us to see that our sinfulness consumes us like a, like a flaming oven. Like an out of control fire. That's the picture that he's drawing here. It's sort of like a fire that's uncontained and just running out of its boundaries. And as I thought about this, I thought about the, the, the very definition of deceit. Like what does, what is it, what is the, the epitome of deceit? And here's what it is. It's the belief that we can control our sin. No. Our sin controls us. We have zero chance of controlling our sin. Zero. That's why the Bible calls us to mortify, mortify our flesh. That we, we have to kill sin. Because if we don't put it to death, it's going to get us. We, we don't have any capacity to control sin. Sin comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. It's not here to, to play games. And so when we play around with sin, we're treating a predator like a pet. And that's always going to end badly. Always. You see, anytime you treat a predator like a pet, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. It's the, it's the when animals attack, 
TV show. When, it, when I first saw that TV show, I thought, hey, I'm in. I mean, I'm in. I want to see this. I like things getting eaten. But after a couple episodes, I'm thinking, I don't think this is healthy for me. Because I want these people to get eaten. They need to get out of the gene pool or something. Because, listen, you can't bring this, you can't bring a tiger in your house and make it a pet. Are you a moron? What do you think is going to happen? That's not a kitty cat. Every time that thing, that, and they're interviewing them, and they're like, you know, of course, in the beginning, they're all sitting on their lap, and they're petting them, right? But you know where this is going. And they're going, oh, you know, this is, you know, my tiger, and he loves me. And I'm thinking, nah, man. Every time that thing looks at you, the only thing it sees is a giant Vienna sausage. That's all it sees. That joker's thinking, I'm going to eat you. I'm just waiting for my chance. Yeah. And then the show flips to later on, and, you know, they're in the hospital, you know, like. I'm just being honest. It's hard for me to pity that moment. I'm like, you're petting a tiger. That's a bad move. That's just a bad move. That's not a pet. It should be in a cage or a jungle where there's not people, but it shouldn't be. You know, God made that thing to eat meat. Do you know what you're made of? Meat. I'm just saying. But what happens when we play with sin? You, you see where God says that their cities have become evil, pooled with blood. The pools of blood spill into other pools of blood. It sounds hauntingly familiar, doesn't it? There's so much evil today, so much violence today, so much hatred today, so much, so much bad. And understand something. The only solution to the violence in our world or the hatred in our world is the gospel. It's the only thing that will solve the, the problem. It, you, you can't legislate morality. It won't work. It has to be from the inside out. We're, we fo we're focused on the wrong things. There's no peace. There's no justice without the gospel. No. It's the gospel. It's the gospel that will bring the things that we desire. But you see, what happens when we make a, a pet out of our sin, when we don't, we don't really listen. We hear that sin is a destroyer, but we don't really hear. So look at verse 8. So Israel, Ephraim, mixed herself among the peoples. Yeah. God warned them. God wasn't raining on their parade. God wasn't trying to say, hey, listen. I don't want you messing around with these people. I don't want you doing this. I don't want you. God's warning them. Listen, you, you got to be careful because whoever you get involved in, then their idolatry becomes your idolatry. And the same thing is true today. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful about, about who we allow on the, on the 
inside of our lives because whatever's going on on their, in their life is coming into our life. But I don't think people understand this. I think one of the biggest problems that I see in the church today is, is a lack of understanding of this exact thing right here. Like, for example, you show me a marriage that is in chronic struggle mode. And I will guarantee you that they're surrounded by broken marriages. You don't, your marriage is going to be a reflection of the people you walk with. I don't care what you think. That's what it is. And so the first thing you need to do is you need to get some people in your life, close in your life, close, who have the marriage that you desire to have. And you need to get the people with broken marriages who have no intention of changing out. Because if you think those voices aren't... Listen, you know what you're doing? You're petting a tiger. That's what you're doing. You're just inviting it in. See, somehow it made perfect sense to you all your life to protect your children growing up from bad, inappropriate friendships that would drag them down. But you never thought that applies to you? You thought somehow you're immune to that? Why is it so quiet? That's, that's us. Who's in the inside of your life? I'll guarantee you it's not in the Bible, but birds of a feather flock together. I'll guarantee you. See, he says Ephraim is a cake unturned. It's a cake unturned. What? Yes. What a, that's a beautiful picture right there. See, you're a cake unturned. You, you try to look like something on, the, on one side of your life. See, when a, a cake that's not turned, you look in there and you see this cake. And it's like, oh, look at this cake. It's, it's all it's cooked on one side. It looks like it's ready to eat. But what you don't know is the bottom side of it is just dough. Hasn't been baked. Hasn't been turned. It hasn't been cooked. And so on the outside, on the top, it looks fine. But it's not edible. It's no good. It's deceiving. You look perfectly together on the side everyone can see, but what's underneath is, 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 is undone. It's just raw materials. See, when you, what God is, is, is doing is he's displaying a picture of his people who are trying to play both sides of the fence. He's saying this about Israel, but the exact, he's saying the exact same thing to us today. He's saying to Israel... You're not a pagan nation, but you're not a holy nation. Man, we should receive that word. You know what we are? Lukewarm. That's what we are. We're a cake unturned. 
When it's convenient, we want to look this way. But if you really get to looking underneath where nobody can see, it's just dough. What did God say to the church of Laodicea? He said, you're, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either hot or cold. And he said, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. No, because you're lukewarm. That's the worst thing you could be. At least if you were cold, you wouldn't be a hypocrite. See, so many people, it looks like on the outside, hey, it looks like God's cooking in their life. But what's underneath? What's really going on? Some of you have been sitting on the stove for years. Just working on that outside appearance. Trying to look like a baked cake. But underneath it's just dough. You know what? Dough has all the raw materials needed to be cake. I want you to be encouraged. If that's you, I want you to be encouraged. That you see everything you need to be a cake is there. All the ingredients are there. You're not missing anything. Think about it. You got all the raw materials. The only thing that's missing is the refiner's fire. You just have to submit yourself to the Lord, see? God can make something beautiful out of that unturned cake if you surrender yourself to Him. But you got to stop hiding behind that top side. You got to stop hiding behind that veneer. You got to stop worrying. So long as it's in the darkness, until it comes in the light, until you're willing to flip over and show everybody that doughy underside, nothing happens. Look at verse 9. Aliens or foreigners have devoured his strength, but he, he doesn't know it. That's the thing, see? We've been devoured. All our strength has been devoured, but they're oblivious to it. Yes, and gray hairs are here and there on him. I hate this verse. <laughs> Can we skip it? Yet he does not know it. And then I felt better because I'm like, well, Lord, I know it. So his strength has been stolen. He doesn't know it. Gray hairs. See, that's the distorting power of sin. Is that what it does, it comes on us. And it distorts our view of everything. But especially, primarily, of ourselves. That's the main thing that sin twists. That's the big goal. See, you think that you're strong, but as you're 
you know, trying to pet the sin. See, you think that you're okay because you're petting the tiger and the tiger's, you know, purring and seems to, you know, love you. And, and so it's, it's lured you into feeling, you know, confident around it and safe around it and ignoring the predatory nature of it. And you even convince yourself that, well, yes, I know that this sin is, has devoured other people, but I've got it under control. I can manage it. This sin loves me. It's different. Yeah, but see, you don't, you don't, that's because you don't even know that your strength has been zapped. You don't even know that. You, you're, you're living in a falsehood. You're getting old. And you don't know it. See, you're the old guy in the skinny jeans. You know the guy. Rhinestones on the back pocket. What's happening here? You seen him? Son, he, he, them suckers are so tight, he can't move. You're like, what are you doing? And here's the thing. He has a mirror at home. And he's looked in it, no doubt. And he looked in it, and you know what he thought? Oh, yeah. See, he doesn't even know it. He doesn't know his strength has been zapped. He doesn't know all these gray hairs are on his head. He doesn't even know who he is. He's oblivious. See, verse 10, and the, the pride of Israel testifies to his face. You see, you, you, would, you are so disenfranchised. You are so discombobulated in who you are, in relationship to who God is and who you're supposed to be and how this thing works, that you just, you just run your mouth right in front of Him. And they do not return to the Lord their God nor seek Him for all of this. Huh. Notice, they seek Him, but not for all of this. They just seek Him for the little things that, you know, they feel are necessary. The little things that they... Woe to them, for they've fled from me. Destruction to them, because they've transgressed against me. Though I redeemed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. See, that's verse 13. The thing is, is, is that it, it's not just this distortion of ourselves... But we we got to distort everything. See, it's impossible to justify our sin without telling lies about God. we got to lie on Him. Not only do we not know who we are, we're all distorted and twisted around. We think we're one thing when we're not, but we, we have to make up stuff about God. we got to believe lies and tell lies about Him. See, our witness becomes a lie. See, when we justify sin... It's just a blatant disregard for God and who He is. It's just proof that you don't hear. You're not listening. We do it because 
there are things in our life that we want. We want. See, there's, it's easy to be against all the things that you don't want. Oh, man, you, you're just, man, you could just be against all those things. But it's a whole different story to align all of your thoughts and desires with what God says. Not what you want. Not what the people around you want. Not what the culture wants. Not what the pressure is. No. But what, what does God want? We use all these lies to justify our sin. We say things like, well, my choices aren't hurting anybody. What does that have to do with anything? First of all, that's not true. That's a complete lie. But second of all, even if it were true, what difference does that make? If God says you shouldn't be doing it, what difference does anything else after that make? But we justify it by saying, well, I'm not hurting anyone. Yeah. See, instead of loving what God loves and hating what He hates, we love what He loves and are entertained by what He hates. That's what it is. I mean, you think about it. You think about the shocking things that we allow to entertain us that God says are wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. And we think it's funny and entertaining. And I suppose, I guess we think that when we stand before God, we'll just say, well, God, there wasn't anything else on TV. There wasn't any other movies to go see. Or there wasn't, I mean, well, I don't know what we think. What are we saying? It doesn't change. The way God feels or what God said. We, we just have this idea that, that everybody's doing it, so it's okay. It's not okay. Your sexual sin is not okay with God. He's not impressed by how committed you say you are to your relationship. He's not impressed. It doesn't change a thing. You're sowing death into your own life. And you don't even know it. So you don't even realize it. You say, oh, well, we're getting married. Okay. The Bible says, God says, in the book of Hebrews, I will judge the sexually immoral. Period. Period. That's what he says. He says the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Period. So all you're doing is just bringing your sin into this. You're just sowing death into these new relationships, into your next relationships, into whatever it is. And you're just telling yourself, well, what are you telling yourself? Well, everyone else is doing it, or it's not hurting anybody else, or we're going to get married, or we're committed to each other. It doesn't matter. It's wrong. Not because God wants to be a killjoy, but because God said in order for this to be a blessing to you, you got to manage it the way I designed it to be managed. 
And so the point is not that, listen, if you've ever done something wrong, then it's over. You might as well just go on because you already have. That's lie number 475. No, what, it's, what I'm saying is, is that whatever you're doing wrong, stop now, flip the cake over, and let the refiner's fire cook the dough side. Today, right now. Because all the raw materials are there. It's not like you're, you're not sitting here this morning deficient of some, something that God needs to work with. No, you have all that he needs. It's just a desire for him. Above your own desires. I mean, you know, when the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, I beseech you, I beg of you to present yourself as, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's, it's your reasonable service. But think about what we do. We, we pet our sin because we have all these excuses, and all these excuses always go back to the culture that we live in and what's the cultural moment and what's culturally acceptable in our moment and all this nonsense. And, and God says, no, do not be conformed to the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So clearly you're not going to look like the world in which you live in. It's the very thing that started this whole conversation, but you've mixed with other people. You've mixed with things you didn't, you weren't made to mix with. Verse 11, Ephraim also is, you're like a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. See what God over and over brings to their attention that whenever, they're, whenever his people are in need, whenever his people are, are suffering or struggling or uh, need help, they turn to other things for help. They ignore the helper. Like a, like a senseless dove just fluttering around, trying to find a, a place to land, just banging into everything. And that's what we're like when we depend on man instead of God. Because what, what happens is we fall into this. You depend on man, so you're entering into man's economy and man's system. And you know what man's system is? It's constantly shifting boundaries. So you never know what's what or who's where or who's. Now you don't even know who's who. I don't even know what anything is anymore. I don't even know what's happening half the time. Somebody said recently, Pastor, you look like you've lost weight. I said, I have. They said, wow, well, what you been doing? I said, well, I uh, stopped eating fast food because every time I go to a fast food restaurant, I don't know what the gender is of the person who's waiting on me. I mean, I don't even know what's happening. And I keep saying, you know, and I'm, I don't know, and I'm like, you know, I said, well, 
She's, I mean, three times I've said, well, thank you, ma'am, and they got offended, or sorry, sir, and she got it for the he, she, we, they, I don't, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, forget it, I'll just have an apple. I mean, good gracious. We're like fluttering doves just banging around. We don't, and here's the thing. You, you get into man's system. There's shifting boundaries everywhere. You're confused. And so, all, so you, you know what that dove's doing? It's trying to find a place to land. It's trying to find a place to trust. But it just lands here, then goes there, then goes here, then goes there, then goes. Because it can't find anything stable to count on, to stick with. There's no trustworthy there's nothing trustworthy. There's no foundation. It's this one day. It's that another day. See verse 12. Wherever they go, God says, I'm going to spread my net on them. Now, <laughs> listen. He, God uses the illustration for his wayward people that were like a senseless dove fluttering around, trying to find a place to land, trying to find something we can trust in. Senseless. And you see what his response is? I'm going to set a net. I'm going to set a net on them and bring them down like birds of the air. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be restraining you from your own self-destruction. I'm intervening. Not because you deserve it. Not because you've earned it. But see, I love you too much to just watch you flutter around. So I'm going to set a net there. He says, I'm going to chastise them. See, that's, a, that's love. I'm going to love them according to what their congregation has heard. See, according to all the things that have been said that you haven't really listened to, you didn't pay attention to, that went in one ear and went out the other ear, all those things, he's going to set a net around you because you're just fluttering around like a senseless bird. think, what does that tell us about God? I mean, I think we, you know, you know what the congregation's heard 10,000 times? God is love. Maybe even in the excuses when we're petting the predators in our life. Well, like, I know it's wrong. I know my sexual immorality is offensive to God, but he's love. I know the hatred and bitterness in my heart is wrong, but God is love. I know I should devote myself to him, but he's love. See, we've heard that, but have we listened to that? And do we understand that not only is he love, but Everything he does is in love. Everything he does is in love. So, so now this is what I mean by this. 
When you're fluttering around like a senseless dove and God puts a net up, does it feel loving? Does the bird like it? Oh, no. The bird feels restrained. The bird feels confined. The bird feels, why, why are you doing this to me? I don't like this. I don't want this. God, why are you punishing me? He's protecting. He's intervening. He's helping. He's standing in your path. He's trying to get your attention. It's loving. The mistake that we make so oftentimes, so oftentimes, is thinking that God's love and God's judgment are vastly different things. They're not. They're not. They're not in the life of a child of God. They're not so long as there's breath in your lungs. We're fluttering around like a silly dove. We're landing on things that will hurt us. And he puts a net up. Spreads a net over us. And we're frustrated and angry and shaking our fists at it. And it's the most loving thing he could do. See, that, that picture is, it's God saying, because my love is relentless, you will never, ever, ever find peace in rebellion. Never. Ever. No matter how hard you try. You'll never find peace. You know why? Because he will not let you. He won't let you. It's a shocking thing to think about how, how radically different Hosea's culture is than our culture and how exactly the same the people are then as they are now. Look at the very first part of verse 14. They did not cry out to me with their heart when they wailed upon their beds. This is shocking. See, I would expect it to say that instead of crying out to me, they just got drunk and were happy. But that's not what it says. I expected to say, instead of crying out to me, they were living it up as destruction was circling around them. Instead of crying out to me, they just ignored all that I was doing to keep them together. But it's true, isn't it? We don't, we don't cry out to God, but We can fool everybody else, but the truth is when it's just us 
in him, our sins made us miserable. We're crying in our beds. Miserable. We know it won't satisfy. I mean, maybe you've asked yourself this question. You hear a sermon like this and you think, am I always going to be such a spiritual failure? I mean, am I, am I always going to have to face this wrestling with sin? I mean, this, this, you know, thinking to yourself, man, I wish I wouldn't have came to church this morning. Because you know you're convicted and you know there's things in your life right now that God wants you to change. And you've put him off and you've pushed him away and you have made excuses and you've pet the tiger. No, all of us. And every time you fail, you think, oh, I fell into this again. And maybe even you get to the point where you, you just wonder, like, am I, am I really even saved? Am I God's child? I mean, could, is, this, is this what it's all about? Just this merry-go-round of, you know, sin and struggle. And about the time I feel like I'm starting to get things together, here I go again. You hear that voice in your head saying, you know, if you were really God's son or daughter, you wouldn't be doing the things you're doing. And that condemnation, it just beats you down like a bat. Well, I just want you to understand something this morning. That there's hope. And the hope is this. If you are here, if you are here this morning and you are wrestling with your sin, that's assurance of God's activity in your life. The person who ought to be mortally petrified right now is the person who's not wrestling. But if you're wrestling... That means that there's been a net spread across you and you recognize that net, that, that he's revealed that to you and that you, you understand that there's something that ought to be that's not, that a blind person can't see. God has to reveal that to you. See, if you're God's child, then you've been given a new heart. And the Spirit of God dwells within you. And so you can't, you can't escape the pain of sin any more than you can escape yourself. Because the convictor is within you. And so wherever you go and whatever you say and whatever you hear and whatever you see, He hears, sees, thinks. He knows. He's in you. So relent, repent, surrender. You can't win. And if you're not 
If you're not redeemed, if you've never surrendered to God, but you're wrestling with your sin, the rock has gotten close. The rock that's been following you in the wilderness all this time has gotten right close behind you. He's right there. And he's working in your life to get your attention. And there's no guarantee that that rock is mysterious. Do not presume upon that rock. But if you repent, the Bible says the rock is Christ. He'll become the rock of your salvation. He'll save you. And He'll redeem you. And water will flow from that rock. And when you need it the most, honey will even flow from it. Amen. So don't fight the wrestle. Satan wants to get you this morning. He wants to get you right now. He wants, you, he wants to distract you slightly. Just enough to get you out of here without change, without really hearing. Don't fight the wrestle. Embrace the wrestle. What you're wrestling with right now, respond to that. Embrace that. That's the love of God revealing himself in your life. That's the, the, the God of the universe speaking into your heart right now. Because if he wasn't, you would not be wrestling. Because there was a time in all of our lives when we didn't wrestle. So thank God for the wrestle. Thank God. Do not let Satan deceive you. No matter what you have done, no matter how long you've been doing it, God can make you the person you're meant to be. Never lose sight of that reality. You possess every raw material needed. You just need the refiner's fire to come into your life. Burn off the dross and make beautiful out of something that once wasn't. Let's stand and bow our heads.